And if you're in the room, would you please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Today we're going to be in verses 26 to 33. Matthew 10, 26 to 33. It says this, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You've probably heard these statistics. Public speaking is more feared than death in our society. And it's true. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, 75% of the people surveyed list public speaking as their number one fear. Talking in front of a large group of people. Now let me ask you, what part of public speaking do you think people are afraid of? The speaking part? Or the public part? So what then do you think is at the root of that fear? I read another article. It's the first one that came up on my Google search. It was titled, The Eight Biggest Fears You'll Face in This Life. The Eight Biggest Fears You'll Face in This Life. Here they are. Number one, fear of failure. Number two, fear of rejection. Number three, fear of change. Four, fear of public speaking. Five, fear of not being good enough. Six, fear of vulnerability. Seven, fear of time. And eight, fear of loneliness. Now you will notice that public opinion affects almost every one of those fears. What other people think. Fear of failure, failing in front of who? Fear of rejection, being rejected by who? Fear of public speaking, speaking in front of who? Fear of not being good enough, according to whose standard? Fear of vulnerability, not wanting to open up in front of who? Fear of loneliness? These are all symptoms of a greater fear. A fear that every single one of us, in one form or another, deals with in this room. Myself included. 
If we could consolidate most of the fear in our world into one category, we would call it what the Bible calls it. It is the fear of men. The fear of men. We are mostly afraid of what other people think, say, or do. That is what we are mostly afraid of. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this is our issue. It's not just our issue. It's going to be an issue for His apostles that He sends out. And so we get this command repeated throughout the passage. Do not fear them. Do not fear. Have no fear. Okay, so... And Jesus doesn't just say, do not fear, have no fear. He gives us three reasons why. Three reasons why we should not fear men. And then there's one warning at the end to not be ashamed of the Lord. So, three reasons why we should not fear men and one warning at the end to not be ashamed of the Lord. So to conquer the greatest fear in our lives, we don't need to hear from Tony Robbins. We need to hear from Jesus. He's going to help us conquer fear this morning. So do not fear, point number one. Because the gospel has been unleashed. Do not fear because the gospel has been unleashed. Look at verse 26. He says, so have no fear of them. Who are they? Who are, who's the them? Those are the wolves that Jesus warned His apostles about. Those who will hate the apostles. Who will persecute the apostles. That's the world. Don't be afraid of the world. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. So what I tell you in the dark, you say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, we understand the first illustrations, the the thing that's covered and going to be revealed, or the thing that's hidden and will later be known. We've heard this illustration before, do you remember? In Matthew 5, when Jesus says, don't hide your light from men. Don't cover it up, but let your light shine so that others will see it. Don't put, it, don't put the lamp under a basket, but put it up on the stand. And, and what Jesus is saying, his point in that, in that story is that we don't want to hide the truth. We want to shine for the truth. We want to expose it. We want to share it. Proclaim it. Let it out. Let it loose. So notice what Jesus is saying in our text. He's saying, there is a truth that is now covered, but will be revealed. It's temporarily hidden, but it will be known. It's now shared in the dark, but it's going to be brought to the light. It's temporarily whispered but later will be proclaimed, shouted from the housetops. So what truth is Jesus referring to here? What is He talking about? That for a time is just temporarily hidden and in the dark. He is referring to the Gospel. The good news. Why is the Gospel hidden at this point? Well, point number one, because the work's not finished yet. Jesus has not yet died, not yet risen again. 
Not yet declared all authority has been given to me and then ascended to the right hand of God. It's, the work hasn't been finished yet. And so in a sense, the message isn't done. And so for now, it's kind of hidden. It's still a mystery that has not yet been revealed. And a second reason that the gospel is hidden at this point, it's hidden from certain individuals and exposed to others. That's why in Matthew 13, Jesus starts to teach in parables. He starts to tell these short stories that are a little bit, for some, confusing. And it leaves them in the dark. And Jesus says that purposefully. He says, I'm, I'm telling uh, the, the story of the kingdom, the message of the gospel this way, because I'm trying to hide it from some and expose it to others. So from the vantage point of the apostles at this point, the gospel, the good news is still hidden in some ways. It's still being concealed. It's not fully known or revealed. But now, well, the cat's out of the bag. We know the gospel. It has been revealed to us. Jesus is the King. He's the Christ. He's the Savior who atones for sinners by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed. In fact, the apostles told us later that it has been revealed. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says to the Colossians, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now it's revealed to his saints, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Him we proclaim. He says in Romans uh, 16, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but it has now been disclosed, revealed, exposed, unleashed, let loose, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel's been unleashed. It has been let loose. We proclaim Christ in the public square today. We preach Him on the, out, on the housetops. We say, repent of your sins and believe in Him. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in your place, suffering for sins, and He rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death, and He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. We have seen that proven. It has been revealed. And Jesus is the only way into God's kingdom. He's the only way for sinners to be made righteous. That is, to be in good standing with a holy God. He's the only way to everlasting life. And so what was, now, was once hidden, we now proclaim. The gospel has been revealed. It's been exposed, let loose, unbound unleashed. And you might ask, why should that dispel our fear? What does that do for my fear of man? Well, listen, the gospel unleashed means the power of God is unleashed. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1.16. Why is Paul not afraid? Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? He tells us why in 116. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. 
Paul knows I hold a message with, that has power. The power to actually save someone. It's not up to me and my mechanisms, my convincing uh, uh, explanation. It's the power of God is in this message. And so all I've got to do is open my mouth and share it. That should dispel our fear. Last summer, my automatic sprinkler controller died. I know, first world problems. So for a short time, get this, I had to go out and manually turn the valve so that my sprinklers would go on and that my grass would not die. It was a simple task, but I couldn't neglect it. It was in the heat of summer. The grass is gone if just one day you forget to water it. But it was a simple task. Fairly easy, right? Just make sure you turn the valve. I didn't have to worry about where the sprinklers were placed in my grass. I didn't worry, I have to worry about valve connections or pipe connections. All I had to do was turn the valve. Open it up. I didn't have to worry about the nutrients in the soil. I didn't have to worry about the hydration process from the water. I didn't have to worry about the sun coming up to shine. I didn't have to worry about photosynthesis, which I still don't understand, even though I passed ninth grade. All I had to do was open the valve. Let the water loose. The system, the water, the sun, that did all the rest. Listen, Christian, the power of God for salvation and His glorious gospel has been revealed. You believe it. You have it. All you got to do is open the valve. Open your mouth. I.e., open your mouth and let it loose. Trust the message. Trust God's Word. The power of God unto salvation. Just let it loose. Do not fear men. Because the gospel has been unleashed. And the power is in that message through God's Word, through you. So don't fear men because the Gospel has been unleashed. Secondly, don't fear men because God is more terrifying. Point number two. Don't fear men because God is more terrifying. This is a scary verse. Verse 28. So let's go through it slowly. He says, and, second reason, do not fear those who kill the body. By the way, that's, that's what we think is worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, somebody is going to kill us for our faith. That's the worst that could happen to you. So there's fear there. I get it. There's a fear of death. There's a fear of being persecuted. There's a fear of being killed for your faith faith. But Jesus says, listen, that's all that they can do. That's it. So in a sense, their power is limited. He says this, look at the text. He says, but they cannot kill the soul. So they have a limited ability here, a limited ability to cut off physical life, but they can't touch everlasting life. They can't affect your eternal destiny. There is only one who can do both. And Jesus points, it, points us to Him in the second half of this verse. 
He says, rather, alternatively, fear him. Fear him. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who you need to fear. Jesus says there's someone more terrifying than men. There is something more terrifying than your first death. There is actually a worst case scenario than dying. The worst case scenario is not dying for your faith. It's dying without it. That's the worst case scenario. Because after death comes judgment. And if you don't have Christ, then you have hell. Where both body and soul will suffer eternally. The hottest fire on earth, the most ruthless beating by men, the most excruciating pain that you'll ever experience, the longest and hardest day that you have here doesn't hold a candle to a day under God's wrath in hell. Why are we more terrified of men? And why are we more terrified of physical death than El Shaddai, God Almighty? He holds the keys to death and hell. He is who we should fear. It's like, I just imagine, what if you were standing toe-to-toe with an angry bear? Picture yourself. Looking in the eyes of an angry bear. Let's, let's say it's a mama grizzly. And you stepped on her nesting spot or whatever, and, and she's looking at you. She is going to destroy you. Imagine that. But then you kind of get distracted. You start to think to yourself, look down at your clothes, you think, I'm not really wearing my best outfit. It would be unfortunate if I died today because I, I kind of, I'm not wearing my best clothes. And then instead of looking at the bear, you, you start to look around and think, is anybody watching this right now? Like, is there an audience that I need to be concerned about? How do I look? Do I look like a fool? Do I look like a coward standing in front of this bear? I wonder what they're going to write about me in the papers. I wonder if they're going to say, oh, man mauled by bear, or if they're going to say, a brave man challenged a bear. So maybe I should change my posture a little bit, you know, try to, try to stand strong and at least die with some dignity. Let me tell you, let me assure you of something. You will not go down that route in your mind. You shouldn't. You should keep your eyes on that angry bear and let the fear of him determine your next move, not the fear of public opinion. I'll tell my son, you know, he's scared of bugs. Whatever bug is crawling on him or got on his leg or near him, he freaks out and I say, son, you, know, you want to know what's more terrifying than that bug? You. Think about that. And don't be scared of a tiny bug. You you understand my point. We need to look at El Shaddai, God Almighty. Look at God in the eyes. Who cares what men say, what they think, or what they do? Allow the fear of God to determine your next move. Not men. 
Listen to this passage in the book of Nahum about the wrath and anger of God. This is who we should fear. It says this, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and He's wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries. He keeps wrath for His enemies. The Lord's slow to anger, yet He is great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm. The clouds are dust of His feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. The mountains quake before Him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before Him. And the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the heat of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by Him. Who are you more afraid of? Whose opinion are you more concerned about? Who are you aiming to please in your life? What fear dominates you? Is it a fear of this God or that man or that woman? You know, the fear of God and the fear of men are incompatible. They don't work together. Paul says in Galatians 1, he says, if I'm still trying to please men, then I would not be a servant of God. Can't try to please men and please God at the same time. So let me encourage you. When the fear of man tempts you, when you're tempted by that thought, when you hesitate and start to think, man, this conversation is going to be uncomfortable. Oh man, I might offend them if I say this right now. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to mock me or use this against me one day. Now, this might cost me my relationship with them. This might at worst cost me my job. This might cost me even my life. When those thoughts begin to come in. And you hesitate. In those moments, when the fear of man tempts you, consider how much more terrifying it is to fall into the hands of an angry God. Look God in the eyes. Fear Him over men. Do not fear men, secondly, because God is far more terrifying. Finally, do not fear men because your death is determined. Your death is determined. I know two very sobering realities. But again, Jesus deals with fear head on. And he says, you've got to think about bigger things than the fear of men. Don't fear men because your death is determined. Let's look at the sparrow. Jesus uses this classic argument from the lesser to the greater. We've been through this before in the book of Matthew. Essentially, it is this. If the lesser reality is true, then how much more is the greater reality? So if I can prove it with a lesser being or a, a lesser truth, then I can prove the, the greater truth is significantly greater. So in our case, the lesser is a sparrow, a small bird. Look at verse 29. He says, Are not two sparrows, two, sold for a penny? Now, similar to our currency, 
the penny in the Roman currency was still the lowest valued coin. And so, in other words, Jesus is saying, sparrows are pretty cheap, pretty insignificant. They're of low value, okay? All right, let's keep reading verse 29. He says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, not one sparrow dies apart from the knowledge and will of God. God is sovereign over the death of even small birds. He's determined their death. Look at Deuteronomy 32, 39. That's because he's sovereign creator. It says, see now that I, even I, am he. And there's no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. There is not a life in an organism on this earth that is not sustained by God. There is not a death in a single organism on this earth in all of history that has not been ordained by God, even down to the smallest sparrow, a very cheap and insignificant creature. So God is sovereign over the life and death of all creatures, including the sparrows. Then look at verse 30. He says, but... Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Uh Uh-oh. Why are you counting the hairs on my head? That's a bit concerning. He's got the hairs numbered before the haircut and after. In your 20s and in your 70s. And all the hairs that go down the drain in between, right? Every hair on your head is numbered. He's sovereign, he's in control, he's counting. Okay, next verse, 31. Fear not, therefore, don't be afraid. You're of more value than many sparrows. That's encouraging, isn't it? At least I'm more important than the sparrows. That should, you know, cause you to exhale and go, oh, okay. This was getting morbid. He was counting the hairs on my head. He was talking about sparrows dying. Right. He was talking about sparrows dying. So are you following his argument here? Jesus is saying this. God is sovereign over the death of sparrows when they fall to the ground. So if God is sovereign over the death of sparrows... How much more is he sovereign over your death? He's talking about dying here. By the way, if he has your hairs numbered, how much more do you think he has the days, the minutes, and the seconds of your life numbered? Your death has been determined. If the sparrow's death date has been determined, the cause of death has been determined then you can assure, friend, you're more valuable than sparrows. He has your days numbered and your death determined. He knows how you are going to die. Think about that. The Lord knows. Every day, every hour, every minute, every second you'll live, and He knows exactly when you'll pass and how it will happen. It's been 
determined. So don't fear. That's kind of irrational. You'll only live as long as God allows anyways. You'll not live a second longer or die a second sooner. And it doesn't matter how much you fear death or what you do to try to avoid your death date. If he has you dying by persecution, then so you will. If he has you living to a ripe old age, worn and beaten by all the troubles of life, then so you will. And so there's no sense in fearing the inevitable, Jesus says. Your death is under God's sovereign control. There's no terrorist, there's no crazy man that is going to come in and mess up God's plan. He will not be surprised when you're taken into prison. He'll not be surprised when you're beaten. He's telling the apostles, he's not going to be surprised by the form of your death. He knows. He's sovereign over it. So don't fear it. Trust God. Trust God who is sovereign over life and death. One sparrow dies, another lives longer according to the will of God. Some will die early in their faith, others will live long according to the will of God. But it is according to the will of God. Trust Him, He's sovereign over these things. And so, let's run through these reasons again. Do not fear men, because the gospel has been unleashed. It's powerful, and it works. Do not fear men, because God is more terrifying than men. And do not fear men because your death has already been determined. Entrust your life with Him who's in control of it. Now, if you're thinking, goodness, this is a little much for me. I was hoping for an easy road in the Christian faith. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be made fun of. I would prefer an easier way in this life. A way to avoid persecution and live as long as I can. What if... What if when it becomes uncomfortable, when my life is threatened, what if I can just kind of use a a deny-free card and get out of it? Can I just deny the Lord in those moments? Disassociate with Jesus to preserve my life? We, you know, even myself, we, we we think about this because we're very concerned about our lives. In response to that kind of thinking, Jesus delivers us this warning. He says, and don't be tempted to deny me. Look at verse 32. Here's the final warning here. Deny him and he will deny you. Deny him and he will deny you. Look at verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me, here's the positive said first. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. What a powerful promise. What a good promise by the Lord. Calvin has an interesting take on this statement. He says, the reward of Christ is far greater than what He requires. He says, to hear from Christ on that day, He is mine and I'm His. To hear from Christ on that day, I know her and she knows me. He calls you by name and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy 
of your master. What is better than that? Oh, that he would acknowledge you in heaven before his father. Though you doubt in weakness, though Satan throws his greatest accusations against you, Christ stands in front of you before the holy judge and says, I purchased him with my blood. I died for her. I died for him. I laid my body down. They are righteous before you, Father. They're your child. We know them. They are ours. To hear from Him those words on that day. To have the defense of Christ when you stand before God. And He knows you. He acknowledges you. He confesses you. He says, that's my friend. That is my brother, my sister. That's our child. They're ours. That reward far outweighs and has way more gravity and weight than the opinions of men. But, and here's the warning, whoever denies me before men, he says, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. That is scary. Far more terrifying than the worst that men could do to you on this earth. Don't do it. Don't do it. Without a defender in Christ, the doubts and the accusations are true. You're a sinner. You won't make it on your own. You have no excuse. You stand before holy God, a holy judge. You're guilty. You're condemned. And no one is coming to your rescue. You will melt before Him. You will go down to your knees. And then you'll hear Him say, Depart from Me, I never knew you. And be cast into outer darkness. Be thrown into hell and suffer eternally. That's the end for the deniers. Now I don't care how difficult or how painful or how lonely our life is here. You never want to know what comes after life for those who don't know Christ and are not known by Him. Don't choose identity with the world over identity with Christ. Don't do it. Warning, do not deny Him. No matter how much you're tempted to, Just open your mouth, open the valve, and confess Christ. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of you in eternity. Polycarp, bishop of Smyrna in the second century. He was captured and he was prepared for execution. And the mode of his execution would be burning at the stake. So they led him to the stake that he would be burned at. And typically they would nail the person to the stake because the person would try to run as they were being burned. Polycarp said, no need for nails. You can just tie me. I'm not moving. The governor gave him a final offer. The governor said, swear and I will release you. Deny Christ. Polycarp answered with this, 86 years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. 
How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Don't do it. Don't be tempted to deny the Lord Jesus. How much has he given you in your salvation? How much has he cared for you, even in the rich and comfortable culture that we live in? How much more will he give you in eternity in heaven? If you would remain faithful and endure to the end today. Don't fear men when you have a Savior. Don't fear men when you know the King. Don't fear men when He has you. He has you and won't let you go. No matter how hard it gets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to You and just ask that You would give us strength amidst a hostile world. You would give us courage and boldness to proclaim Christ from the, mountain, for the, from the housetops, to say in the light what You've given us, Lord, Your Gospel, to be faithful. Help us, Lord, amidst just a great temptation to want to just press the easy button, to, to want to live a comfortable life, to not want to be made fun of, to not want to lose our, our jobs or, or have any kind of discomfort in this life. Lord, we, we so much idolize comfort. And we very much idolize the opinions of people. We fear men. Forgive us for that, God. Forgive us for fearing men above You. God, I pray that You would forgive us for that and give us strength to grow, to be faithful, to profess You even in the midst of hostility. God, I pray that we would stick with you. We would stick with Jesus. Because we know he sticks with us. And just can't wait, Lord, for that final day we endure to hear from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of your master. We want to be known by you. And we want others to know you. And to follow you. God, I pray for individuals in this room who stand in their sins without a defender. They don't know Christ. They haven't yet been forgiven because they don't believe. I pray that you would give them faith, that they would repent from their sins and entrust themselves to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The only way out of judgment and hell. Pray that you would stir in their hearts now the conviction of their sins. They would believe and repent. And entrust themselves to Jesus alone, the only Savior and King. Pray that you would do the work that only you and your word can do. That you would grant faith in their hearts and grow them to know Christ and to follow him with their life. In Jesus' name, amen.